In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing the show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions, and none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. And this week, I'm not going to lie to y'all, it's going to be a rough one. Yeah, it could be a bit rough. Yeah. I'm, I just want to go ahead and prepare you all that it's not going to be an entertaining one. It's really not. Oh, no, it will. It will. I've got a lot to say. It's You have a lot to say? It's not going to be like entertaining like, you know, Friends is entertaining. But it might be yeah. entertaining like, what? criminal minds is entertaining <laughs> yeah that's what I, that's what i mean that's yeah, what i mean yeah. like it's it's not going to be a fun episode yeah, it's be... going to be an interesting episode it's yeah. going to be a very important episode mm-hmm. but it's not going to be a fun episode so i'm going ahead and and getting y'all prepared for that good idea so today we are going to talk about the mass shooting mass shootings that have happened just this week which has just become an all too common occurrence in the United States. Then we are going to discuss the murder of the Palestinian American journalist, um, Shireen Abu Akleh in, uh, in the West Bank by Israeli forces. And then we're going to have a conversation about the free marketplace of ideas and kind of how free speech is important to that. It, it's it's complicated to explain, but it'll yeah. it'll it'll make sense when we get to it. Yeah. So yeah, this is going to be a rough one. So strap in, folks. But you know what else is complicated to explain? What is complicated to explain, Michael? The COVID numbers. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I don't have those, so <laughs> can can you start? Oh man, I was hoping you could do it this week. <laughs> just uh, kidding <laughs> so worldwide we've hit 525 million cases which is up from 519 million uh the week before so that's six million new cases in a week or about 860,000 new cases per day which is about twice as many daily new cases as the prior week in terms of death we've hit 6.29 million deaths which is up from 6.28 million the week before. So that's 10,000 new deaths in a week, which is pretty much flat from the prior week. And in terms of vaccination rate, we've hit 67.4% of the world's population with at least one dose, which is up from 67.2% from the week before. So that's up 0.2% in a week, which is actually about twice the increase that we've been seeing for the past you know, few weeks. So I guess that's good mainly that's it's not like that's a great accomplishment except for the fact that it's just been so slow uh for many weeks now in the u.s we've hit 84.55 million cases which is up from 83.93 million the week before so that's 620,000 new cases in a week or about 89,000 new cases per day which is down just about four percent from the week before but if you recall last week doubled the new case rate from the week before that Um, So we've recovered a little bit, but not that much. In terms of death, we've hit 1.027 million deaths in the U.S., which is up from 1.025 million the week before. So that's up 2,000 deaths in a week, uh, or about, you know, 
286 deaths per day, which is about half of the daily death rate from the week before. Um, so it's really interesting to see like the case rates and the death rates kind of not scaling similarly, um, which like, you know, one would assume is connected to the vaccine. It could be also connected to like some other potential causes, but it's an encouraging sign to some degree that cases can go up and it doesn't automatically lead to significant increases in deaths. Um, and on the vaccination front in the U.S., We've hit 78% with one dose, which is the same as last week, 66% with two doses, which is also the same as last week, and 31% boosted, which is up 1% from the prior week. So that's the good news part of the episode, right? Yeah, that's pretty much the good news part, which is sad yep. because that's not yeah. very good news. That's not very good news. Yeah. So uh, honestly, I don't even want to transition with a joke. Let's talk about mass shootings. Yes. Let's start so, off. To start out, we're going to talk a little bit about the shootings themselves, but I want us to also spend some time afterwards talking about this idea of the great replacement theory yeah. that keeps getting pushed and then cited by not not just not just the particular shootings this week, but have been cited by several white nationalist terrorists yeah. that have committed hate crimes and shootings throughout the course of the last decade. Yeah, yeah. So one thing to place a, place this a little bit in context is that um, so far in 2022, we've had about 199 mass shootings. So to put that, you know, to like contextualize that even further, right now it's May 18th. We've only had 137 days so far this year. So that's about 10 mass shootings per week. More yeah. than one a day, um, which, you know, is stunning. What's more stunning is that that's about the same rate as 2021 when we had about 13 mass shootings per week and similar to 2020 when we had about 12 mass shootings per week and a little bit higher than 2019 when we had about eight mass shootings per week. Um, and that's a mass shooting defined as uh, an incident where four or more people are shot or killed, excluding the shooter. Yeah. Yeah. And and one thing we to, have a problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, we really do. And one thing to call out about this uh as, you know, is pointed out by Mark Fullman who is uh, a researcher focusing on mass shootings and who recently released a book called Trigger Points is that this is quote planned violence. There is yeah. in every one of these cases always a trail of behavioral warnings. Because yeah. you know, these are to Nathan's point like about great replacement theory, it is one of the things that drives the motivation to go and commit these really heinous acts. And it's, yeah. of course, on display this week. And it's not always politically motivated, but it very often is. And one of the things that I think we should just address very quickly is that there is a unique gun problem in the United States. Now, I've talked about this before. For those of you that are longtime listeners of the show, you know that I tend to be more moderate on the issue of guns, that I think that prohibitions, bans on possession are not necessarily the answer. Mm -hmm. But it can't be doing nothing. Yeah. And that's what we've been doing. And the thing is, 
that has been in a lot of ways, the standard Republican push, which is to just do nothing. And the way I see it as somebody who actually is a little bit more moderate on the issue of guns and a little bit more inclined to be more pro gun, Mm -hmm. the best way that you can ensure that there will be major legislation that will not take gun rights into account is to do nothing Mm. because eventually People can only see enough children die. People can only see enough enough black people die. People can only see enough just people in general die at the hands of mass shooters before they snap and seek extreme solutions. Yeah. And honestly, I don't blame them yeah, for wanting same. extreme solutions because it's an extremely big problem. Yeah, exactly. I so, mean, two yeah. per day. Yeah. that That's mind-blowing. Yeah. Like... In, in most developed countries, the number of mass shootings for a year is like in the, the double digits, if yeah. that. Yeah. For the entire year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and ours is in the double digits for a week. Yeah. So that's just, that's just awful. So let's, let's talk about the shootings themselves. Mm-hmm. So the one that's probably gotten the most attention uh, is the first one, which is the Buffalo shooting. Yeah which um, took place at a uh, supermarket in uh, Buffalo, New York. It was carried out by a man, a uh, 18-year-old man named Peyton um, Gendron. And it was very directly racially motivated. Yeah. Like this guy released a 180-page document full of rants about how Jewish people and black people and uh, and Hispanic people are trying to actively replace us. Yeah. Like as in as in replace white people. Yeah. Um, trying to replace Americans, trying to basically create a, mot- a multiracial society, which in his mind is the equivalent of white genocide. Yeah. And yeah. that he viewed this as basically an act of self-defense against that. Yeah. And uh, from most accounts, it looks like he was radicalized during the pandemic where he spent a ton of time going down internet rabbit holes. And this is what it led to. And one of the really sad things, and one of the parts that should really piss anybody off is the fact that this was not, the only warning sign mm-hmm. like there was actually, so apparently when he was a, when he was a senior graduating from high school, he apparently threatened to do a mass shooting at graduation. Yeah. Hmm. Police investigated it. They didn't end up charging him, which I don't know why the hell they didn't charge him. Mm-hmm. I guess they just figured, well, it's a minor. So, you know, what the fuck's he going to do? At the time, he was a minor. Yeah. But that was a part of his background. He had threatened a mass shooting before, and yet he was still able to buy guns. And this is New York. It's not like the gun laws in New York are, like, super, super lax. They require background checks. Yeah. But somehow, a a mass shooting threat in his past was not enough to get him banned from obtaining a gun. Now, I don't know. I don't don't care who you are. I don't care how pro-gun you are. I don't see how anybody could disagree with the idea that 
as soon as you threaten a mass shooting, you're donezo. Like, mm -hmm. no, no guns for you for the rest of your life. I don't give a shit who you are. You threaten a mass shooting, you don't get any guns for the rest of your life. Yeah. All right? And that should immediately come up in a background check. Yeah. Yeah, I think one thing that's important to emphasize with this case, um, and, and many politically motivated uh, instances of mass shootings like it, is to recognize that this guy, while being heinous and evil and taking this horrible action is not just some crazy person. Like yeah. a lot of the commentary on the right has like shied away from talking about his political motivations and emphasized like, Oh man, mass shootings are just carried out by crazy people that do crazy things. And there's no way to, there's no way to combat it. There's no way to fix it. It's just like crazy people, which yeah. is just not the case. Like, this person was is obviously delusional, but not like disorganized. This was a highly organized act. I mean, he wrote a book. Now, to be fair, it's not a very well put together book, but a hundred and eighty page yeah. manifesto online describing himself as you know a fascist, a white supremacist, an anti semite. He legally obtained an AR fifteen uh, style rifle modified it with with a high capacity magazine which is illegal in New York obtained defensive tactical gear selected this particular buffalo neighborhood because it was the neighborhood with quote highest black percentage that is close enough to where i live drove nearly 200 miles from his home in New York uh, in in Conklin New York to buffalo um, and like this organ, this level of organization, um, is what enabled him to be such an effective murderer. Yeah. And his whole motivation was to kill as many black people as possible. To Nathan's point, yeah. like his explicit motivation was that he was going to, you know, in single handedly help reduce the black population to prevent black people from replacing white people. And importantly, sow disorder and help destabilize the country as much as possible. And as a result, yeah. he killed 10 people and injured three more, making it the most deadly uh, mass shooting in the U S this so far this year. Yeah. And one, one fact that I read that was really chilling was apparently during the incident, I'm, there was one white person that was there that he had pointed the gun at at one point, and then he apologized. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it was a white person. That's not who he was targeting. Mm -hmm. He live-streamed the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And the crazy thing is, like, we, I, I just, it's really important that we don't write off this person as just another crazy person. Yeah. Because, like, the police arrived within two minutes and stopped him. And in yeah. that amount of time, he killed 10 people and injured three more. Yeah. And to Michael's point, the need to not write this guy off, we need to look at what motivated him. Yeah. First off, let's let's talk about the other shooting. Yeah. Yep. So um, at about 1.30 p.m. on Sunday um, in uh, Southern California, a man opened fire during a lunch reception at 
a Taiwanese church. Um, and he killed one person and wounded five others. Um, this church is like mainly attended by Taiwanese individuals. Many of them are older. I think the average age of uh, attendees, uh, churchgoers here was, was 80. Um, but Dr. John Cheng, who was 52, was able to tackle the man and was unfortunately tragically killed in the process. But the pastor of the church was able to hit the guy in the head with a chair uh, while he was reloading, and then a bunch of parishioners tied him, hog-tied him with electrical cords until the police arrived. So, first of all, holy crap, these are the most badass octogenarians I've ever yeah. heard about. This is, yeah. this is like, got to be the subject of, like, like I, I can see, like, Sylvester Stallone in The Rock starring in, like, <laughs> a yeah. race appropriated version of like <laughs> this uh yeah this like yeah. defense but like the, and, and the, the 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 man who died like god what a hero yeah i mean it's i mean it is it's such a tra- tragic event yeah and more people probably would have died if he hadn't done that so i i shit man yeah you, that's that's I can't think of a more heroic act than that. No, I I totally agree. I totally agree. A couple things that this had in common with the previous shooting. One, the man legally had, a, you know, in his possession, uh, two nine millimeter pistol pistols with which he used. Um, he traveled from Las Vegas, so again, traveling kind of far distances to target this particular place, um, and similarly. It's believed that his motivation uh, was both political and racial. So yeah. specifically, um, the Orange County Sheriff Don Barnes said that uh, it was motivated by hate for the Taiwanese community um, and that the, uh, the shooter um, was specifically uh, motivated by uh, political tensions involving China and Taiwan. And the FBI has opened a uh, an investigation, uh, a hate crime investigation into this particular case. Yeah. So let's talk about the theory that's been the motivation behind this. So the idea is what's called the Great Replacement Theory. Yeah. So um, NPR describes it as... Uh, a conspiracy theory that states that non-white individuals are being brought to the United States and other Western countries to replace white voters to achieve a political agenda. Yeah. Now, there are different iterations of this, some of them a little bit more mainstream mm-hmm. and some a little bit more fringe, yeah. but they all say the same thing just with different words. Yeah. So the the version of this that was touted specifically by the Buffalo shooter is the idea of racial replacement. Mm -hmm. So through uh, interracial marriage, meaning like interbreeding of the races, um, through eventually violence, Mm -hmm. that black people, uh, immigrants of color from other countries, Jewish people are going to replace the white population of the United States. Yeah. And and, um, importantly, 
like to many versions of the great this great replacement theory which you know given that it is a conspiracy theory means that it's highly flexible to match yeah. the particular motivations and beliefs of you know uh of the actor um but like one of the common themes of instances of this theory is that this is something specifically organized right that the, the the replacement is something that is organized yeah. by a group in power. Um, yeah. Often in its most extreme forms, it's, uh, uh, you know, claimed that it's Jewish people in power from, you know, driven by anti-Semitic rhetoric. Yeah. Um, Usually specifically George Soros. Yeah. At least in the United States. <laughs> at least in the United States. Yeah. yeah. One thing um, that I think is also really important here as it relates to mass shootings is that the like specific motivation here is not just to like kill as many of this other race as possible. Um, but to fulfill an idea called accelerationism, which yeah. white supremacists believe is their basically their best chance to stop the great replacement. Basically they believe that, um, race and ethnicity create inherent divisions in Western societies. So if individuals act in, in ways to like cause, violence to help uh expose these cracks it will accelerate the breakup of western governments and bring on a race war uh in which you know white people will be ultimately victorious so for the for specifically the buffalo shooter in a section titled destabilization and accelerationism uh, accelerationism uh uh, colon tactics and victory he claims that quote stability and comfort are the enemies of revolutionary change therefore we must destabilize and discomfort society wherever possible and he had multiple passages copied directly from the writings of the 2019 Christchurch shooter in new zealand which is i think to nathan's point like a very important part of this so in 2019 um a heavily armed man walked into a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand and killed 52 Muslims while they were praying, which is like the deadliest white supremacist terror attack in modern history. Um, it also motivated the same idea, accelerationism and, and the idea of destabilizing uh, interracial uh, societies, right? It also motivated mass shootings in Poway, California and El Paso, Texas. Um, and, multiple scholars who have studied the January 6th riots have also identified accelerationist thinking and rhetoric among rioters. Um, and so what we're seeing is that like this great replacement theory is attempting to be prevented by this accelerationism, which is essentially like attempting to deliver anarchy. So it's yeah. actually getting like political activist legs that are taking the form of mass shootings and 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 uh you know attempting to overthrow the government yeah now all of that sounds crazy crazy fringe and 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 scary as fuck yeah and the sad part is that that's not necessarily the worst of it now it's the worst of it in a sense that it's the worst the ideology can get. Yeah, exactly. But it's not the worst of it in that it's not what's doing the most damage right now. Yeah. Now, what's doing the most damage right now are 
the mainstream people, mm-hmm. they're using their own version of the Great Replacement in order to push a political agenda that then motivates people to take it to the extreme yep. to end up causing these types of shootings. And no one has been more of a perpetuator of this specific theory than Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Yeah. In fact, um, there's a breakdown of this done by the New York Times that found 400 instances mm-hmm. of Tucker Carlson pushing this theory. Yeah. 400 like, instances. I mean, yeah, like it's funny, like as as I was reading about like the definition of this theory, right? Where it's like Jewish people or democratic elites plotting to replace like white people or white Americans with people of color through immigration policies. Like that's, that's his whole show. It's anti-elitism as the cornerstone for fear mongering about immigration and liberal policies. Yeah. That's what he does every fucking night. Yeah. And he has even used the term great replacement. Yeah. Now, because he's a mainstream figure, he can't straight up come out and say, well, this is about black people coming in to destroy our way of life. All right. Or this is about um, this is about brown people that are coming in to use interbreeding to destroy our way of life in order to create a white genocide. He can't do that directly. So yeah. instead, what he does is he focuses on the political angle to it, yeah. which ends up being more palatable to his audience. Yep. So what he'll say instead is not that the Democrats, or it is not that um, the wealthy elites in power are trying to create a white genocide by bringing uh, people of color from other countries in order to replace people in this country. Instead, what he says is that the Democrats through lax immigration policies are purposely trying to bring in as many immigrants as possible in order to change the electoral landscape so that Democrats are able to stay more in power. Yeah. That's the way that he puts it. So at one, and, and, and he uses dog whistle terms. Mm -hmm. Like here, here's, here, here's one here. Here's, here's a really interesting one. Um, he says, at one point he was talking about the policy specifically referred to it as great replacement. And he referred to it as quote, the replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from faraway countries. Yep. Legacy Americans. Yeah. Cause he can't say white. Yeah. Cause of course you can't say white. Yeah. That would, that would be giving it away. Yeah. But, but yeah, by framing it, by framing it as a political strategy, he accomplishes a couple really important things. He accomplishes the fact that um, that makes it seem like, you know, just another ideology, right? And he and two, he makes it seem like no matter how cutthroat it gets, it's just politics, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like we shouldn't even have to do this, but let's let's address how fucking ridiculous the substance is for just a second. Yeah. First off, let's just, just think about what the argument is for just a second. All right. So what he's saying is that immigrants are more likely to vote for Democrats. Yeah. Therefore Democrats 
want to bring in more immigrants who will then vote for Democrats. What he's not telling you is that maybe, just maybe, the reason why immigrants are less likely to vote for Republicans is because Republicans treat them like shit. Yeah. It's because Republicans do shit like this. It's because Republicans, like Tucker Carlson, fearmonger yeah. about immigrants night after night after night. Tell them that they make America more dirty. Tell them that these, these refugees are coming into your cities. They're going to become your neighbors. They're going to invade your neighbors. Yeah. That Donald Trump specifically, in his first speech on the campaign trail— called Mexicans rapists, and some of them are good people, but called Mexicans rapists and said that Mexico was purposely sending people over mm-hmm. that were not the best people. Yep. He purposely said that. So did you ever think for even a moment that maybe the reason why immigrants tend to vote for Democrats is because Democrats don't call them dirty, Yeah. don't systematically discriminate against them, aren't outwardly racist towards them? It's such a ridiculous notion. Yeah. See, the thing is, like, I think that's such a power. I think it's a really powerful point. If we if we take a moment to think about it a little bit more, like to your point, it makes no it, like the only logical reason, right, why someone would vote, you know, for one party is like if that party, you know, theoretically does right by them, right? Like you've got. Yeah. Yeah, that's the idea is that like if if we bring in, you know, immigrants is what they're claiming. If Democrats bring in immigrants and treat them well, they'll vote for Democrats, except except like that, to your point, just gives away the show because it's like, well, if we treat people like people, then, you know, isn't that a good thing? And doesn't that mean that just Democratic policies are good? Yeah. So the only way that this theory, right, or this 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 idea about democratic strategy works as a criticism is if you are explicitly racist. If you believe yeah. one of two things. One, if you believe that helping immigrants, helping people, treating people of color like people is a bad thing. Or two, if you use his terms, which is that these are, quote, more obedient voters from the third world, which is to claim that people of color are in fact inferior. Yeah. And so it's not that Democrats help them. It's that they're stupid. Yeah. That's which the, is also racist. Yeah, which is racist. Yeah. The <laughs> only way to make the claim that bringing in and helping immigrants is a bad thing and makes democratic policies bad is if you also believe racist things about those immigrants. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if Tucker Carlson is directly saying that this is to prevent the country from becoming more black or more brown. Mm -hmm. Effectively, he's saying the same thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter if he's couching it in terms of politics. Effectively, he is saying the same thing. Yeah. Now, another thing that he'll often try to try to tout or that'll that'll try to claim is that well, it's about protecting you from dangerous immigrants. All right, dangerous mm-hmm. illegal immigrants that they're coming over and they're going to be dangerous. And I just I just want to make a quick comparison 
based on something else that he said. And this will all tie back together in just a second. So Tucker Carlson at one point specifically referred to white supremacy in the United States as a hoax. In, in 2019, he referred to it as, quote, not a real problem and said, quote, this is a hoax, just like the Russia hoax. It's a conspiracy theory used to divide the country to keep a hold on power. So he right there, he is saying that white supremacy is a hoax. Yeah. All right. Now, one of the biggest now, remember, one of the biggest reasons that he is constantly railing against undocumented immigrants is because he's saying that they're going to be violent. They're going to come in, they're going to commit crimes, and they're going to be violent. Mm -hmm. So according to the uh, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, in the fiscal year of 2022, the number of violent crimes committed by, uh, committed by non-citizens, which in this one I'm specifically defining violent crimes as either assault and battery burglary and robbery, uh, homicide, um, illegal, illegal weapons possessions, and sexual offenses. All right. When you add all those categories together, the number comes up to 1,460 crimes. All right. So in terms of violent crimes committed by non-citizens, that is 1,460. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, this is from the 2020 statistics. There were 8,052 single biased incidents involving 11,126 victims in the year 2022. And 61% of those were based on race or ethnicity. Hmm. So he claims that white supremacy is a hoax, but he spends all of his time railing against violent crime committed by undocumented immigrants, which I just I just pointed out to you, according to U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, is about 1,460. Mm. An eighth of the violent per violence perpetrated against people of color. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. So he claims that white supremacy is not a problem. Yeah. And here's the sad part. In a way, from his point of view, he's telling the truth. Because in order for his political agenda to be able to, to, to continue to, to muster support, which, make no mistake, his political agenda is not necessarily about the, uh, it's not necessarily about the culture issues. That's what he focuses on, but that's not necessarily what it's about. The main focus of his political agenda is to get people thinking about culture issues, riled up about culture issues, get them to vote for Republicans that then keep the very elitists that he rails against in as much power as possible. Hmm. So in order to do that, he has to divide Americans as much as possible. He needs to make sure that this great replacement theory that he keeps touting is dividing Americans as much as humanly possible. Yeah. So his political agenda directly con d directly benefits from the white supremacy that he stokes. Yeah. So no, for Tucker Carlson, white supremacy is not a problem. It's a solution. And the thing is, Tucker Carlson is not alone, right? He's like obviously the biggest 
uh, cable news show. But like Laura Ingram, Janine Perot, all of the like many Fox News hosts and hosts at ONN and Newsmax all tout these similar ideologies. And yet, with this Buffalo shooting, in the explicit call-out of Great Replacement Theory, they have, one, not talked about that very much. One study of Fox News coverage found a, one, just one single mention of that in the coverage of the Buffalo shooting, right? Um, but they've also been trying to distance himself with Carlson calling out that this shooter was uh, is just a, a product of a diseased and disorganized mind, trying to distance him, the, the shooting, from his rhetoric. But the thing is, what's more important right, then what these people are trying to do is what their audience is receiving from them, right? So it's, it, it may not even matter if Tucker Carlson is, like, explicitly trying to cause, like, this type of violence because his watchers, his audience, believes that that's what he's calling them to do. The founder of Daily Stormer, which is an American far-right, neo-Nazi, white supremacist, misogynist, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic, Holocaust-denying commentary and message board. Damn, that's quite a resume. I know. (laughs) Which advocates for the genocide of Jews. The founder of that site called Tucker Carlson, quote, literally our greatest ally and praised him for his coverage of of great great replacement theories he said quote carlson was dropping the ultimate truth bomb on his audience jews aggressively lobby for the same demographic policies in america uh, that they openly declare would destroy their own country right one last december an associated press and norac poll uh, conducted like on a large scale in the united states about conspiracy theories found that nearly half of Republicans agree to some extent with the idea that there is a deliberate, uh, coordinated attempt to replace native-born Americans with immigrants. Three in ten Americans overall agreed with the idea that intentional replacement was occurring or that native-born Americans were losing influence. One in five, 20% of Americans agree that the electoral system discriminated against whites. And your belief of these ideas is clearly correlated with what network you're watching. If you're watching One American News Network or Newsmax, 45% of that audience believes that Americans are being replaced. Fox News, 30% believe that Americans are being replaced. And even CNN and NBC, 10%, much lower, but still way too high, believe that Americans are being replaced. The thing is, I think the thread we've been drawing through this whole thing is that anchors are intentionally creating this theory and like disseminating it and convincing people that it's true in order to gain political power, to Nathan's point. That theory that they're advocating for is, and all the dog whistling they're doing, is intentionally or not, but it's intentional, being interpreted by white supremacists and by non-white supremacists, right? By just 
normal everyday Americans who are starting to believe in this great replacement theory. The white supremacists and extremists believe that their best way to combat it is this acceleration or the destabilizing of Western governments to cause a race war. And that belief is causing mass shootings. And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, Good Actually. So Nathan, why do we do Good Actually every week? Because the world really sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Man, you really got and, it. And especially this episode, we need a nice sandwich of good news mm-hmm. between our first segment and... God, if you thought our first segment was bad, wait, wait, wait for our second segment. Yeah. Um, or at least was emotionally fraught. Um, and sometimes we need to just look around and realize that sometimes things do actually work out okay. Mm-hmm. And there can sometimes be good news to celebrate. Yeah. So, Michael, what is our good actually this week? Our good actually, even, you know, often we try to make these a little less political. This one's not really yeah. political so much as just great news. Yeah. It appears that representative, Republican representative from North Carolina, uh, Madison Cawthorn, lost the Tuesday primary to be the Republican representative. Mm. Or, as, or as we like to call him, Mad Cow. Mad Cow. Mad Cow <laughs> lost, guys. We beat Mad yeah. Cow. <laughs> Now, he's probably getting replaced by a Republican who's pretty bad as well, but like he was in a lot of ways uniquely bad. Now, we we did talk about, I I think it was last week when we were talking about how the extremists aren't the major problem. Mm -hmm. That doesn't that doesn't mean they're not a problem. That that doesn't that doesn't mean get them out of their seats. (laughs) Yeah, we still want to get them out of their seats. Like it is still better for them to be those seats to be held by someone who is not insane yeah yeah <laughs> and madison cawthorn was absolutely insane he yeah. was a he was like full-on insurrectionist yeah um and you know a, a transphobe and a homophobe and just all of those things like the one of the worst that the republicans had to offer mm-hmm. and we got him we got him and you know i i i, I think and I, I, part of me is almost sad because we just recently came up with the nickname mad cow i know which is such a good, it it's really such a good around. nickname. I something tells me he's not gone forever. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Especially because, like, like looking over like what reasons people gave that had voted for him before and voted for Trump, uh, it's none of the real. It's none of like the good reasons. It's like yeah. none of the reasons you mentioned, Nathan, that like he's a homophobe and a transphobe and uh, terrible for the country and a conspiracy theorist and all this stuff. No, it's okay. like, oh, he's too immature to handle the job. And one guy said, I don't know the kid, but he's a kid. And maybe that's what the problem is. Like, well, kind of missed it. (laughs) Well, hey, you know what? Fuck it. Any reason is a great reason to vote against Madison Cawthorn. I completely agree. And that's what makes this such good news. It is good news. So let's let's just 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 be happy for just a second. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in preparation for us. For, for our next segment where yep. we're just going to steamroll your emotions once again. Yeah. So that's good, actually. So on Wednesday last week, Al Jazeera news correspondent uh, Shireen Abu Akleh was killed 
while reporting on the rest bank by Israeli forces. Yeah. And there's definitely a lot to talk about here. Yeah. Because initially, so so it, it's important to note that she was she was in a group of other reporters. Mm-hmm. She was with a she was with a, a press group. They were all wearing a press helmet. They were wearing vests that clearly indicated that they were in the press. And randomly, she was shot in the head. Yeah. And another journalist that was that was standing right next to her, another Al Jazeera Al Jazeera journalist, was shot in the back. Now he fortunately is in stable condition, mm-hmm. but Shireen was rushed to the hospital and declared dead not very long after that. Now, according immediately after the shooting happened, according to all of the eyewitnesses, the the actual journalists that were on the ground as it happened, the shot came from Israeli forces. So, Israeli forces opened fire on a group of press uh, of, of of journalists and killed one and injured another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another journalist that was that was standing next to uh that was standing next to Shireen, Shatha Hanaisha, said, quote, We were four journalists. We were all wearing vests, all wearing helmets. The occupation army did not stop firing even after she collapsed. I couldn't even extend my arm to pull her because of the shots fired. Yeah. The army was adamant on shooting to kill. So it wasn't just a stray bullet. They were still shooting even after she went down. Yeah, firing on on the group. Yeah. Now, the actual... So obviously Israel initially tried to deny it. And they tried to claim that the shot came from Palestinian forces that were in the area. Mm-hmm. However, there is in, an independent investigation carried out by a Dutch-based international consortium consortium of researchers, so people that were not necessarily Palestinians or, or uh, Israeli, and they published a video in which they used video analysis of, of all, like basically the, the area, um, all of the video evidence that they had of the actual shooting itself, audio gathered from social media. And they took all of, they put all of this together and it came from both Palestinian and military sources. And um, it took into account things like timestamps, the locations of the video, the, the shadows of the video, the, uh, the actual gunshots themselves. And what they found was that there were some Palestinian gunmen that were in the area. However, the place that they actually were had a wall between them and the journalists and and where Mm. the journalists were. So it couldn't have been them. Mm. And the place where the bullet came from was consistent with where the Israeli soldiers were in the area. Yeah. And there was another analysis that came out by an an Israeli group that was actually a a human rights group in in Israel that kind of forced the government to backtrack a little bit because initially they were saying, oh, it was definitely a Palestinian that did it. And then they had to backtrack a little bit and kind of just be like, well, you know, maybe it wasn't. It it wasn't just any, like, it wasn't just like, like a general statement. This was like 
the prime minister of yeah. Israel that was coming out and saying this. He said, quote, our forces from the IDF, which is the Israeli Defense Force, uh, returned fire as accurately and carefully and responsibly as possible. Sadly, Al Jazeera journalist uh, Shireen Abu Akleh was killed in the exchange. The Israeli foreign minister, yeah, was killed in the exchange. And then they shared a video of the Palestinian gunman active in the city on Wednesday to try to back that up. But then researchers found that that video was from a totally different part of the city. Yeah. It was just propaganda. Yeah. Which, if they're doing that, we can't trust them. And here's the, here's the other thing. So currently, um, they, they're still investigating. There's still an investigation going on by the Palestinians. And the Israelis are basically demanding that they turn over evidence such as like the, the, the bullet itself so that they can do their own investigation. But why the fuck would you trust them? Hmm. Like there has actually been a long history of them covering up these types of military atrocities that have been committed by Israeli forces. Now, before we continue, I do just want to make an important caveat because I think, I think it's, it's very easy for people to potentially twist the words of other people when we're talking about the conflict between Israel and Palestine. So I just want to, before I say anything else, I just want to make something absolutely clear so that there is no confusion. Anti-Semitism is a very real thing. It happens all around the world. Yeah. And there have been unfortunate instances in which when tensions have increased in Israel between Palestinians, that there has been a global increase of hate crimes against Jewish people. And every single one of those are completely wrong, completely immoral, mm -hmm. and should be condemned in the strongest possible words. Yeah. And furthermore, we always, always, always have to draw a distinction between people and government. The people of Israel are not responsible, are not necessarily responsible for atrocities committed by their government, and the people of Israel should not be punished for the atrocities committed by their government. We always need to make that distinction. Yeah. At no point when anybody is listening to this segment should you think that we are trying to condemn the existence of the people of Israel or say that Israel doesn't have a right to exist or say that Jewish people don't have a right to exist. Yeah. Obviously, that is not what we are saying. All of the criticisms in this segment should be taken as criticisms of the Israeli government, not the people of Israel and not the Jewish people. Yeah. Anti-Semitism in all its forms is terrible and wrong, just like racism, generally speaking. And yeah. given the history of anti-Semitism and the way it's been used to justify some of the most atrocious acts in human history, like yeah. it deserves a special place uh, in making sure that we like are as distanced from that as possible. Yeah. And we stamp it out wherever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And... None of the anti-Semitism committed around the world justifies the treatment of Palestinians by the Israeli government. 
And none of that justifies the murder of a journalist. Now, all of the people on the ground, all of the journalists that were there on the ground are calling it a deliberate, a, a, a deliberate killing. Yeah. It seems to me that that is not an unreasonable stance to have. I mean, this isn't the first time that Israel has violently attacked um, people in the press. In fact, according to Al Jazeera, at least 45 journalists have been killed by Israeli forces since the year 2000. And let's also not forget about the fact that that I believe this was this was last year mm-hmm. when Israeli forces bombed the Associated Press building in Gaza. Now, they they called them ahead. They said, we're going to bomb your building. You better get out. The people there begged them not to because they had equipment that they were using to cover to cover all of the things that were was going on in Gaza, including atrocities committed by Israeli forces. And they said, no, get out of there. We're going to bomb it. So they had to get out of there and they bombed they, they, they bombed the Associated Press building. Yeah. And they specifically said that the journalists involved specifically said that the world will know less about what is going on in Gaza because of this. And uh, the Israeli government said, well, there were Palestinian forces that were in there or not. There, there, there were there were there were Hamas forces that were in the building at the time. We had received intelligence and we had shared that intelligence with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. And then Anthony Blinken comes out and says, no, the fuck they didn't. Mm. So they lied about that. They apparently uh, they apparently put out propaganda on this video to try to shift blame to this Palestinian gunman. So honestly, it seems to me like there's a conspiracy cover up and we can't trust a damn thing that they say. So, of course, it makes sense that if the Palestinians have evidence such as the bullet, why in God's name would they share that with the Israelis? And that, that's 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 the line that they're saying. They're basically saying, we don't trust you. We're not going to turn over that evidence. And then the Israelis have the gall to say that, oh, well, they're only trying to do this investigation. They're trying to keep this investigation to themselves for political reasons. Hmm. One of their journalists, one of, one of the journalists of an independent news organization, not even, not even a Palestinian official, a journalist who is a Palestinian American citizen was murdered by your forces. You have a history of covering it up. 45 journalists have been killed by Israeli forces since the year 2000. And you're expecting them to turn over their evidence to you. You gotta be kidding me. And as if that is not already terrible, to make matters even worse, Israeli police officers disrupted the funeral procession of the people that were carrying the coffin of Shireen to a church, from the hospital to a church. They disrupted it by beating people with nightsticks that were that were trying to they were trying to carry the coffin they disrupted it to the point where at one point they almost dropped the coffin 
Like the people carrying the coffin almost dropped the coffin because they were being beat with batons, with police batons. And what they're saying, what the police were saying, is that what caused this was uh, apparently at first the family had agreed that they were going to do a hearse, that it, they weren't going to be carrying the coffin, that they were going to do a hearse. And also another thing that had, uh, that had escalated it was that uh, there were some mourners who were carrying Palestinian flags and the police were demanding that they not be carrying Palestinian flags. And so the police, so there's, there's a standoff between the police and these mourners who are trying to carry a fucking coffin. The police are trying to demand, you put that in a hearse right now, and you, put, you take down those, those flags. And the mourners are like, no, we're not going to do that. And then apparently at one point, uh, one of the mourners, like, according to the police, this is, this is their side of it. One of the, one of, some of the mourners threw plastic bottles at the police, empty bottles, and that's what caused the police to attack them. Empty plastic bottles. Yeah. Now, according to another account that I read by a journalist that was there, the police were the ones that started the confrontation and the plastic bottles, like the, the, the actual physical violence and the plastic bottles were just a retaliation because they, they had nothing else to defend themselves with. But either way, either way, we can't forget about what caused this. The police officers were trying to dictate to these people how they were supposed to carry out their own funeral. I don't care if they had a, a prearranged agreement about using a hearse instead of just carrying the coffin. I don't care about that. You don't get to dictate how they do their own funeral. That is what authoritarians do. And the fact that part of, part of what, what exacerbated this was just flying flags in protest, that gives you the right to beat people who are carrying a coffin with a dead person that your first forces murdered? No, that is bullshit. That is bullshit. That is authoritarian. Amnesty International has officially labeled and declared the state of Israel to be an apartheid state. Currently, there are at least... 65 Israeli laws that exist that directly discriminate against Palestinians, that allow for Palestinians to be treated as second-class citizens. It is an apartheid state. The government has created an apartheid state. So they murdered a journalist, and to add insult to injury, they they beat the people that were carrying her coffin. And I just, I just want to finish by reading one quotation from, uh, from Shireen's niece. So um, Shireen's niece, a woman named uh, Lena, who is 27 years old, who apparently was uh, uh, considered Shireen to also be a mentor. According to CBS News, um, Lena had apparently told them that, quote, I used to tell her, Shireen, be careful. You need to take care that you don't get hurt. She would tell me, don't worry, we are journalists. At the end of the day, we are protected by our vests. 
and they can see it. It says capital letters press. So we do have the right to report and they won't get near us. And the thing is, she should have been correct. Journalists should have been allowed to do their job. But unfortunately, the current administration, the current government within Israel has authoritarian tendencies that causes them to crack down on free speech, crack down on free press, that try to report on the ways in which they systematically oppress Palestinians. And the United States gives them military aid. And that right there is why we're doing this segment. Now, if this was a country that we don't have a direct ally alliance with, then we probably wouldn't even be talking about this. But the fact of the matter is, the United States enables the current government in Israel by sending them military aid. We have to leverage that military aid to make sure that we are no longer supporting an apartheid state, to make sure that they change their laws so that Palestinians are no longer treated as second-class citizens. It's, it's immoral. It is unconscionable. And the United States has agency. And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, a D-Bag Award. So, Nathan, yeah. why do we do D-Bag Awards? Well, Michael, sometimes somebody just makes an argument that is so unbelievably stupid. Mm hmm and self-defeating on its face mm -hmm. that we just have to celebrate it. We just have to celebrate the beauty it takes in order to make such an argument. And of course, this is named after Alan Dershowitz, after that fateful time that he boldly stood up and said that a, a president cannot be impeached for cheating to win an election because a president is supposed to believe that them being elected is within the national interest. And you can't impeach a president for doing what they think is in the national interest. That's a, that's a good one. That's a very good <laughs> one. <laughs> wow. So in order for someone to receive a Dershowitz bag award, they have to prestigious. say a very prestigious award. They've got to say some shit that's like real freaking dumb. So you would think that they wouldn't be one of nine people who are tasked with being our foremost jurists in the country, wouldn't you? Mm. So with that little teaser, Nathan, who's our D-bag this week? Well, you know, it's funny that you mention the Supreme Court because it happens to be one of the Supreme Court justices. What? It's, almost like you, it's almost like you already knew. It's almost like we already planned this. Yeah. It's uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Clary Tom, come on down. I feel like I feel like if if someone were to say to me, there's a D-bag award, which justice got it? It would either be Clarence Thomas or Brett Kavanaugh. It'd be one of those yeah. two. Probably Clarence Thomas. Well, He's got a longer history of saying D-baggy stuff. True, but I don't know. I mean, Alito's the one that wrote the robe decision that literally cited a witch hunter. That's so, true. That's that's a so fair I don't point. Know. Yeah, that's a good I don't point. Know. Yeah, it's it's almost as if there are a bunch of d bags. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like when when Republicans send Supreme Court justices, they're not sending their bests. <laughs> 
I mean, some of them are rapists. Yeah, some of them are rape. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean. Wow. I'm. I mean, some of them I assume are good people. You know. I assume. So Nathan, what did (laughs) just a little bit too perfect Clarence Thomas (laughs) say to get on our show? So uh, he was talking about the fact that apparently, for you know, seemingly unthinkable reasons to Clarence Thomas, that the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade and basically take over the bodies of pregnant people all over the nation Mm -hmm. is being met with a little bit of anger, you know? You mean by those snowflake liberals? They can't even they can't even have their bodies taken over by the government without whining about it. Apparently not. So he was talking about uh about protesters going to the houses of Supreme Court justices. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to make a distinction between conservative protesters mm-hmm. and liberal protesters. He was trying to argue that conservatives would never act that way. He said, quote, you would never visit Supreme Court justices' houses when things don't go our way. We didn't throw temper tantrums. I think it is incumbent on us to always act appropriately and not to repay tit for tat. Mm, yeah, that's true. Republicans would never act this way, Nathan. Yeah, they would if, be if, worse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah did, this guy's wife was literally involved in the insurrection. Yeah, this guy's wife was literally involved in the insurrection. It's not like he doesn't know the insurrection didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> like, like it's, it's not like he thinks it didn't happen. It's like Jesus Christ. When 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 leftists storm the Supreme Court. And like shit on your desk and sit in your chair and like, I don't know, piss on the flag or whatever. And like like, threaten to kill you. When they when they set up a gallows, a fucking gallows in front of the Supreme Court building, then you can talk to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But (laughs) yeah, it's like there's so many instances of Republicans doing way worse forms of pro like like, oh, you're mad that they're standing outside your house with a sign? Well, what if they parked semis around your entire house so you can't get out? <laughs> yeah. Which is another form of great protesting by Republicans. Like, <laughs> yeah. what if they stormed onto your property uh, or into the Supreme Court building? Like, it just does, it doesn't even compare. It's so, it's so in bad faith. It's, it's stunning. And the fact that yeah. it, this willful blindness coming from someone who's meant to be a politically impartial jurist who's able to see the like the threads of similarities among like cases and laws and principles and the fact that he of all people is making this argument is honestly disturbing yeah it just it proves that he is a partisan hack yeah. He's a complete partisan hack. Yeah. He has no regard for the law. He has no regard for the idea of trying to be an impartial jurist. He has he has no he has no interest in, in trying to be impartial. He is just a political insider with a political agenda that he is forcing on America. So congratulations to Justice Clarence Thomas for being our D-bag. So for our last segment, we're having more of a philosophical discussion. Hopefully lighten the mood a little bit for this 
this episode. Yep. You, you you stayed with us up till now, so yeah. uh, now you're rewarded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so we're talking about you know free speech as we often do, but looking at it from a little bit of a uh, a more narrow lens, which is specifically talking about the quote unquote marketplace of ideas, and we'll talk talk about what exactly that is, and discuss whether we think that there's evidence that like the internet and social media have eroded important aspects of the free market of ideas and what that might mean for arguments for free speech, free speech absolutism. So to just start off, the marketplace of ideas um, is a theoretical concept and an, an, a metaphor, essentially, um, which basically makes the claim that, well, I think, you know, in, in 1919, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote like pretty clearly about this. And he described a, quote, free trade in ideas within the, quote, competition of the market. Uh, and basically, it's the theory that exists, that there exists a marketplace of ideas, uh, which is similar to capitalism. And just like in capitalism, um, the best products triumph uh, in free exchange, as will the best ideas. So bad ideas like shoddy products will ultimately won't sell. Uh, and and will be weeded out of the crowd by all the good ideas. And like, you know, maybe this is theoretical, maybe this is old-timey. You know, John Stuart Mill professed a similar idea, and like that was in like the 1800s. Like, you know, maybe this is like just, you know, theoretical. Except yeah. it actually does have practical force. Like uh, at the time, CEO Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, um, directly cited like the marketplace of ideas when deciding not to ban conspiracy theorist Alex Jones from yeah. the platform. Right. Yeah. He said, quote, journalists document, validate and refute such information directly so people can form their own opinions. Yeah. And, and one of the fit most famous quotes is from justice Brandeis in 1927 when he wrote the remedy to be applied to falsehood and fallacies is more speech, not enforced yeah. silence. Yeah. And I would say that my inclination is to agree with that. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, there are some things that I think that we can agree are not covered by free speech, mm -hmm. such yeah. as direct threats of violence, um, defamation. Yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, first off, defamation in the United States, which I think that this is how it should be, um, there's a very high standard Yep. for what can be what can constitute uh defamation or libel and i yeah. think there should be a and, very and even statement. higher for like public figures where yeah, even higher in for the public, public figures. eye exactly however i think that you know and and we've we've said this before the remedy for disinformation should really be more speech now yeah. one of the things that unfortunately a lot of people on the right who are and, and, and you know mostly like commentators, politicians on the right who claim to be free speech absolutists or three, free speech app activists will often pretend as if using free speech to respond to their terrible ideas is in and of itself a form of speech suppression, which is just not. Yeah, but 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 I would say that the biggest thing here is that when it comes to when it comes to free speech, when it comes to a free marketplace of ideas, the idea that the best ideas will rise to the top, yeah. 
it's kind of hard for us to look at our current level of discourse in the United States mm. and think the best ideas have flowed. They're have, definitely have, coming <laughs> to the top. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a really good point. Because like, yeah, to your point, like the marketplace of ideas is a concept about a mechanism for arriving at the truth. The best way to arrive yeah. at the truth is for us to all talk about it and yeah. argue about it and there'd be consequences for being for lying and all that stuff. And like so the best ideas will rise to the top. Yeah. So like the idea that that doesn't seem to be the case is like you know, so the whole question we're trying to explore is does the market free market of ideas actually exist in a way yeah. that helps enable and support an argument for sp- free speech? And to Nathan's point, yeah, like the so f- right now, you know, we're not at the end of history, but right now in this moment of history, the ideas, the best ideas don't appear to have risen. Yeah. Yeah. Like mainstream ideas involve things like great replacement. Mm, um, yeah. The idea that the election was stolen, the big yeah. lie. Yep. Um, the idea fucking... that, uh, like, the moment of fertilization is the moment that a, a, a baby is a person with all the rights of a person. Yeah. Or, you know, that um, trickle-down economics oh, man. is, yeah. <laughs> you know, is not the worst fucking idea since lead-based makeup. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's fair. Like, and and and, so like one answer to that could be that we're not done talking about these things. You know, you and I are contributing to the marketplace of ideas right now when we argue against them. We're not done yeah. arguing. Those questions have not been settled. Their presence yeah. in the mainstream is a symptom of the marketplace. It doesn't mean the marketplace has failed. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that a lot of the ways in which humans have progressed within just the last 200 years, Mm -hmm. I would actually say is probably directly attributed to an increase in free speech around the world. Mm. Now, I, I, I will say that's, that is speculative. You know, I'll go ahead and say that that is speculative. But it it also seems pretty intuitive that when more people are able to be involved in that process, the only people that aren't that are making these decisions are not just the people at the top, the people that benefit the most from often terrible ideas that keep people oppressed. Yeah. I mean, looking at the ways in which um in which gender equality has become has become significant has made significant progress in the last 200 years in comparison to the 200 years before that um looking at the ways in which uh society in which society itself has developed in terms of a justice system that you know doesn't sentence people to death for stealing a loaf of bread yeah yeah doesn't Um, doesn't send people overseas uh because they like owe some money, like like yeah. debtors colonization, yeah. like <laughs> yeah, or that you know slavery is 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 wrong. Yeah. So so in a lot of ways, I think that free speech could, you know, and again, this is speculative, but I think it's also in some ways intuitive. I think that free speech is probably a major driving force of progress because people tend to have an idea yeah. of what benefits them and what does not benefit them. Yeah. And 
you know, it, it, it lets them share those ideas. Yeah. I think, now, I think that's really important. Like think of like some of the most important pieces of progress we've made over like the past couple of hundred years. If, if it had been illegal to advocate against slavery, slavery, abolitionists would never have made progress. It never would have entered into the mainstream that slavery should be ended. If, if uh, suffragettes, if it had been illegal for people to advocate the expansion of the right to vote, which it totally could have been, suffragettes would never have passed um, the amendment that gave women the right to vote. Yeah. Like these all require advocacy, specific verbal sharing of ideas. And so yeah. like all it would take to set us back historically, you know, to have to have erased these key points of progress from our history would have yeah. been either, you know, making this speech illegal or making it, you know, chilling it significantly. Yeah, and in some of those cases people were arrested for their free speech yeah. because police tried to find any excuse to, to, to lock people up in, in some of those cases. But the fact of the matter is it wasn't like in feudal England where, you know, you, you, you call the King a cabbage and he mounts your head on a pike. Mm-hmm. And importantly, you know? and importantly, the fact that people acted in ways that were wrong towards uh, like with regard to free speech doesn't mean that, you know, free speech doesn't work. Oh right? yeah. Like yeah. it's like, that's yeah. an important, in that like yeah. free market like like yeah to your point like even though the market like wasn't truly free these ideas were still able to get traction yeah which is you know perhaps part of the uh part of the benefit there which brings us to social media yeah because so l- let's let me kind of use the free market theory as as it pertains to economics and then kind of apply that same sort of logic to speech. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind a free market based economy is that the best products will be bought and therefore the best products will end up rising to the top. Mm -hmm. So if you create your product in a way that is better and more efficient, that costs you less and satisfies your customers, you're going to be able to keep producing it and they're going to keep buying it because it's going to be something that is appealing to them. Now, obviously, you know, we can talk about certain flaws that come to that. Like sometimes the free marketplace can, um, can incentivize exploitation Mm -hmm. of workers. But at the end of the day, the idea is that if you are creating a better product, people are going to buy it. And the most important thing for a free market based economy to succeed is competition, which means that if you have a monopoly that eliminates competition, yeah. if, if people are not able to like, if, if McDonald's isn't able to, to make a, a specific burger and then, you know, Burger King is not then able to be like, well, we have another burger and it's better than the McDonald's burger. Mm-hmm. Then McDonald's is like, Oh fuck, well we got to make a better burger and, and, yeah. and so on. Yeah. Like, if it's not, if it isn't for that response yeah. to those products, then nothing would ever get better. Yeah, which is why fascism is so ineffective when it comes to you know when Running it comes to economy, economics. Yeah. yeah, because the idea behind fascism is usually that you do have 
like you do have a privatized capitalist economy, but the government is heavily involved in making sure that there's as little competition as possible for those elites who, who yeah. own those, those, um, yeah, those specific products. So when you have monopolies, either, you know, either that kind of happen naturally or that happen because of the government forced it to happen. Yeah. It, it kind of destroys the even theoretical success of a free market economy. Yeah. It requires like, I think it requires like kind of three main things. Like to your point about monopolization, it requires a level playing field competition, like equal kind of competition. It requires free trade of things, right? If you only had trading, like you could have like a great capitalist economy, but if you only have, if it's very, very small and it's limited number of players and like you're only interacting in a small group, like, and you're not able to trade outside of that, it like significantly reduces the effectiveness of the competition in the economy. And the last thing is that that competition has to have consequences. Like it has to lead to the weeding out of inferior products. That's the only way that the marketplace leads to economic progress. Yeah. So let's apply that to the free marketplace of ideas. So first off, um, let's talk about the actual, like the, the free part of the free market. Yeah. So being able to say what you, in this case, that would be being able to say what you can't, what you want without the government coming in and, you know, making you disappear in the middle of the night. Yeah. I would say that for the most part, we have that. Yeah. So good. Good on us. Yeah. In fact, we might, we err in that direction most of the time. Like if you talk to, like when you hear Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey or whoever the CEO of Twitter is right now, or, you know, Google with running YouTube, like all the, the thing that they emphasize, uh, like is that we shouldn't be the arbiters of like, you know, determining what people can say and can't say. We're just, we just want to let people talk now under pressure. Like they've added like various features to, to like, you know, restrict that a little bit. But for the most part, if you're not advocating violence and you can pretty much say whatever you want. Yeah. Let's look at the other, uh, at another thing that Michael said, even playing field. Mm -hmm. I don't think we got that. No. (laughs) (laughs) Cause, cause the thing, cause the problem is, and this actually, in some ways, this almost comes down to, uh, to economics. Yeah. People that are born within elite positions, Mm -hmm. people that are, that are rich or born into rich families, you're more likely to get social capital, which means you're more likely to get followers. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, so yeah. And that doesn't mean that there aren't like some Twitter accounts where it's just some random person in some random city who happens to have a million followers sure. on Twitter. But I I wouldn't necessarily call it an even playing field because you still end up having a lot of the a lot of the nation's most elite people. Yeah. Well, and, and importantly, you know, even beyond just like even beyond just who's saying what ideas and like, you know. To your point, like we have a lot, you're allowed to say things that are consequences. We all have access to these platforms for the most part. You're right, like certain people have disproportionate amount of disproportionate amount of influence. But even beyond those, like you know, actor specific, uh, you know, d- uh, inequities about the people, the algorithms themselves are not designed and do not create level playing fields for ideas. First yeah. of all, first of all. Complex ideas, nuanced ideas, 
are deprioritized. I mean, yeah. like just a couple Twitter of years ago, yeah, Twitter doubled the length of their their tweet for the first time to basically a short paragraph. <laughs> yeah, and so so com- complexity and nuance is deprioritized. Um, we know that the algorithms are optimized to increase engagement, and we know. Yeah. It is, a, it is documented and studied that this has the effect of promoting hateful and divisive content regardless of truth yeah. because in like that is what keeps people engaged in the platform for longer periods of time. So they're not optimizing for truth. They're not even optimizing for a level playing field. The, the field isn't level. The worst ideas with the least nuance win. Yeah. And then that right there, that exact point brings us to the last one, which is consequence. Yeah. All right. So competition in a free market economy breeds consequence. Yeah. And in order for that free market place of ideas to actually be productive, meaning that there is a legitimate amount of competition, that means there also has to be consequences for your speech. And unfortunately... With the internet, that isn't always the case because a person can anonymously post something or even if it's not completely anonymous, anonymous, like they can throw something out into the ether Mm -hmm. and either the people that respond to them are just like faceless people that they've never heard of. So it's easy for them to just ignore it or... The people that respond to them are the people that already agree with them. Yeah. So there's really no point in the first place. Yeah. Totally. So so there doesn't so there doesn't really end up being consequences. Mm-hmm. All right. Now keep in mind when we say consequences, we're obviously not talking about the government. We're talking about what that what that judge said, which is the best way to fight against bad speech is with more speech. Mm-hmm. You know. So and different speech like that's, and different that's critical is that it's about like yeah it's about like having alternate arguments and opinions and for there to be consequences for being a bad actor and for people and to for there to be speech consequences for saying things that are bad or these inferior ideas right it's like yeah. it's like, like the consequence free speech environment in the market context that's like someone avidly believing that their carriage is way better than your car for getting someplace fast. Regardless of the information, they have this blind belief that something is true. And so there's no like there's no corrective yeah. mechanism. Yeah. And that right there is essential. And the biggest thing that's getting in the way of that is the algorithm. Yeah. Cuz it creates an echo chamber. Yeah. So uh, it it creates an echo chamber and also, you know, just the dehumanization of social media interaction. Now, I don't want to sound like a boomer when I say that, but like (laughs) in a lot of ways, face-to-face interaction does allow you to see people as humans. Yeah. I mean, think of it this way. Think about the most racist person you can think of on the internet. You know? Mm -hmm. Do you think that they would be that blatantly racist to the face of somebody that, you know, that was, that, that had a different skin color? I mean, fuck, think of, uh, think of the worst shit that like Tucker Carlson has ever said. Yeah. You know, like think about, uh, think about when he said like the refugees 
are, you know, coming into your towns and they're going to, they're going to take over your, 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 they're going to take over your towns. They're going to be your neighbors or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think, you know, he's saying that in a studio to a camera, but what if you put like a, a five-year-old refugee from Somalia in front of him? Yeah. Do you think he would say the exact same thing? Mm-hmm. Do you think he would say the same thing to their face? I don't think so. I don't think he would. And honestly, when it comes to what we say, especially when we're talking about people, social media makes it easy for us to just dehumanize them and say things that we would never say in front of their face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So I think like it makes me worried, honestly. Like, if we don't have a free market of ideas, and if the free market of ideas is critical to the value and the the de- and delivering on the promise of free speech, like where does that leave us? Um, yeah. I think like I think one response is that you know some people have advocated that like as a result we need to start regulating speech to some degree, and I think that's the wrong response because like. If the marketplace is broken, right? So, so in, let's think about a market context. If monopolization is meaning that, like, there's no progress in the marketplace, the solution is not to, like, regulate that the products get better or something like that, or like change the products, you know, like it, the solution is not necessarily to say, okay, we're going to make all crayons into pencils. The solution is to get rid of the monopoly and allow yeah. the market to function. So in this case, yeah. I would say the solution is like, it's, I mean, it's complicated, but it's probably not something like let's regulate the outcomes. Yeah. It's let's regulate the market to help promote the conditions yeah. That can that can fix the specific causes that Nathan and I have discussed here. Yeah. Exactly, because at the end of the day, you don't want to prevent people's free speech. Yeah. Because I mean, for, for one thing, on principle, but for another thing, you know, I would say especially if you're a leftist, one of the one of the things that leftists really try to do at least you know my version of leftism is about trying to speak out against power to try to dismantle power structures and to try to equalize power structures and that's a threat to a lot of people in power that's that's a threat to a lot of people that would be considered financial elites yeah you know like the people that run these social media companies so you might look at an alex jones type who says you know, the government is putting all liquids in the water and it's making frogs gay. Like you, you might, you might look at that and think that's fucking ridiculous. Take that guy down. But like what happens when it's a leftist that comes out and says something like, Hey, Israel is an apartheid state mm-hmm. and it, and it shouldn't be. And we should stop supporting them with military aid until they end that status. What happens when they come, they, they, they come for those people? What happens when they start, you know, wh- what happens the next time 
there's an Iraq war where the government is selling one line. Yeah. The media is regurgitating that line. It ends up being a lie. Yeah. And the only people that were speaking out against it were people on the left, but they were getting censored. Yeah. The problem with regulating outcomes is that we don't actually know what the right outcome should be. And the right yeah. outcome might change over time, right? Like, yeah. And so it's the whole idea is that in the face of uncertainty, we'll let people do what they want. And I think that still holds. Like we're not, oh, like the government is not 100% sure of what all the best ideas are. Nathan and I aren't either. Certainly Alex Jones is not. <laughs> and so like in the face of that uncertainty, we should create conditions which enable arriving at truth and good ideas. And yeah. to the degree that our current interaction model doesn't do that, because it has specific systematic uh, problems that cause it not to, you know, foster good ideas. We should fix those root causes and not regulate the outcomes. And now we won't be ending our episode as we usually do, because this was a tough episode and tragic things have happened over the past week. And so we'll be taking a moment of silence for the victims of the mass shootings over the past week and uh, for Shireen. And with that, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again next week.